The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Start Shootin', Part 3, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Just like that, the entire team was through. It was just like stepping through an open doorway. No fanfare, no special effects. Save for the temperature and the air, the interior was completely climate-controlled. Where it had been damned cold and the air was thin outside, inside it was only mildly cool, with crisp, dry, sea-level air pressure. The power requirements to keep a space like that perfectly conditioned was staggering in and of itself, not to mention all of the other wonders that the Kriegers had to be powering. The area of the entrance looked like a small gate, definitely off the beaten path from the main thoroughfares, at least according to Vicky's map in the HUD. John quickly got the team to cover in the doorway for a squat building to the left. The doorway itself was easily large enough for three sets of powered armor to walk through abreast. The ground itself was strange. Pale gray, it contrasted slightly with the pure white structures around them. It wasn't stone or asphalt, though. It felt different, like some sort of hardened rubber. If nothing else, it helped to mute their steps. It also helped to mute the steps of the Kriegers. John was just about to give the team the signal to move out when Vicky came in over the comm. Take cover. Try the door behind you and get into the building if you can. Now! Molotov and John both put their shoulders into the massive doors. After a second of straining, both of the massive doors swung inward. Then Unter and Sarah followed them in and shut the doors behind them. Everyone immediately leveled their weapons on a completely empty room. White floor, walls and ceiling. No windows. The entire ceiling glowed softly with an indirect light just like daylight. No furniture. Nothing on the walls or the floor. The hell? The building looked like it had never been used for anything. There would be time to figure out what that meant later. Vic, what's the cinch? Why are we camped out in here? Patrol. That video of it through the HUD? Was already on it. This area is uninhabited, but they must patrol it regularly. An image formed underneath the map in the upper right of John's HUD. Three Krieger troopers in armor. They were marching down the street towards the gate. Three corresponding dots appeared on the map, matching their progress. The middle trooper advanced ahead of the other two, looking somewhat confused as he approached the open portal. He punched a series of commands into a control panel on his gauntlet, and the portal irised shut. The Krieger then turned back to his two subordinates and began conversing with them in German. We could take them. John glanced back. It was Unter. He had steel in his voice, and his desire to kill the Thulians was palpable. Yeah, and alert the rest of the freaking city— you die, then they accelerate whatever plans they have to march over the world, and everybody else dies. Which is being right, Overich. 
We are here to observe, no more, unless absolutely necessary. Molotov fixed Untermensch with a stare until the other relented, sniffing and fiddling with his rifle. I have seen this, Sarah said in a low voice that vibrated with emotion. I have seen this world ending in fire and death, and only the Thulians and their slaves left. I did not know how such a thing came to be, but I can see it now. This is one of the paths that can end in fire and death. We must not be detected, or... She didn't need to complete the sentence. And when John turned in surprise to look at her, he saw that her blue eyes had turned gold again, that same featureless gold that had marked those features when... The world faded out from around him, and he saw it. Saw Untermensch dash out, whether before Moji had issued his orders or after he couldn't tell saw Georgie take out all three of the Thulians, and then they were running, running through the streets of the city with Vicky in vain trying to find a bolt hole for them. He watched as all of them were cut down, himself and Sarah last, and then watched in accelerated time as the Thulians boiled out of their city, watched Bella try in vain to ready the world for an onslaught more terrible than anything they had seen yet, and saw it all end, as Sarah had said, with the world in ruins, the survivors in slave camps, and the Kriegers triumphant. John was snapped out of the vision by Molotov's voice. They are moving out. John shook his head, then focused on the image from the HUD. The three troopers were going back the way they had come, apparently joking with each other, judging by the way the shoulders on their armor were heaving. I sure as shit hope that the gizmo can open up that portal from the inside. Otherwise, we're here for the duration. John took stock of their situation. They had walked into way more than they had intended to. They didn't have the supplies or the support to stay much longer. Vicky could only keep her technomagical eyes going for so long before she ran out of juice. The eyes did, or both. The longer they stayed and the deeper they went into the city, the higher their chances of being detected were. If they were found out, it would completely negate the entire purpose of their mission. And if the vision was true, a whole lot worse than that. Look, I can take the eyes up just under the ceiling of that force field and get a general gander. Collect as much data as I can in a single sweep. I think the force field itself will mask the presence of the eyes. Do it. The more time we spend on sight, the higher our chances of discovery are. John looked to Molotov for confirmation. Duh. We will wait in position until witches' toys complete their sweep. Then we shall exfiltrate. Poke around in that building and see if you can learn anything— Johnny, if you see something that needs to be scanned or recorded, you've got some stuff on board. Just say, Overwatch, Command, Full Scan on Visual Target. John started moving around the empty room. It was largely featureless, save for a couple of protrusions in opposite corners. One looked like a water hookup with a sort of temperature control panel above it. 
It didn't actually have any sort of controls that John could fathom, however. On the other side, however, was an alien-looking power outlet, a flat metal plate that he confirmed was magnetized after accidentally pressing his rifle against it, with three different orange lights circling it. He spoke the command Vicky had told him and recorded everything he could about the feature. It might come in handy at some point. Lichten House? Unter said tentatively, and suddenly they were plunged into complete darkness. John immediately switched his HUD over to night vision, swinging around with the rifle. Everyone was looking at Unter, who was holding his hands up placatingly and grinning. Is Venenia. Apologies. Since I could not see controls, I wondered if the lights answered the voice. Lichten auf. The lights came back up. Gradually, so they weren't blinded. Next time you are having bright idea, Dedushka. Don't. Being patrol partner with old man Bear is rubbing off on you. Molotov shook his head. Which girl? How much longer? Not much. There's only so much equipment Verd could pack in those balls. There was strain in her voice. She sounded tired. Basic flyby is the best I can do. Ten minutes more, I think. It was one of the longest ten minutes of John's life. When the four eyes had returned, it was with bad news. Comrades, we've got a problem. Someone's camping the gate. He came from inside the city, so if you whack him, he'll be missed. Camping the gate? Moji said, perplexed. The video feed from one of the technomagical eyes appeared in the team's HUDs. A single lone Thulian, unarmored, was waiting by the section of barrier holding the gate that they had entered the city through. He was looking around furtively, his eyes darting around the streets and buildings. One moment, he was there. Then his eyes grew wide, and he was running as if the devil himself were chasing the Krieger. Seconds later, everyone saw why. Another patrol of troopers, five this time, came up to the barrier. After a few barked orders, the troopers took up positions around the exact spot that the team needed to get through. There more. Day continues to improve, does it not? Unter spat on the ground to punctuate his remark. Victrix, we will be needing to find alternate means of leaving city. Can you find us an alternate route? Let's settle for getting you out first. I need to look at that gate dingus in more depth. Try not to attract attention while I do. John retrieved the Thulian device from the dump pouch on his belt. Got the gizmo ready. What you need me to do? Don't turn it on, for God's sake. I don't want to take the chance it sends out some sort of telltale. Just hold it barehanded. I might be able to get a good read on it through you. Affirmative. John tucked the device under his arm while he stripped off his gloves with his teeth. Sarah already had her hand out for them and brushed the back of one of his hands with a gentle finger when she took them. Calm seemed to come to him through the touch. He grinned, 
reciprocating the emotions as much as he could. He held it gingerly, and had the oddest sensation that Dickie was doing more than just looking through the camera magically integrated with his eyes. She was employing some other means of examining the device that felt like a feather tickling the back of his mind. It's not set to open a particular gate. It's a general-purpose gate opener. So we just follow the same protocol around the rim of this joint, and if you find another one of those back doors, you can open it. But, of course, that means turning it on, which means someone might notice. Unavoidable, if we wish to ever leave this decadent monstrosity. Murdoch, lead us out. We will be on cover for you. With a curt nod, Molotov turned to converse with Unter in rapid-fire Russian. John noticed Unter's demeanor change ever so slightly, whereas before he had looked ready to kill every Krieger he could see, now he was back to his usual stony-faced self. There'll be time enough for blood later, old man. That seemed to be the gist of what Molotov had told their comrade, at any rate. Within moments, the team had their weapons ready, and the rest of their gear squared away. Dix, Murdoch said from the front of the team. Let me know when I've got a window of opportunity. I know, waiting's the worst part. On the other hand, since these bricks don't have windows, no one can see in either. The wait seemed interminable. Remember, people, the first bullet that flies means you're made. And if you're made, well, remember what Sarah said. It's all over. Don't worry. With you on Overwatch and me leading the way, they'll never have a chance to see us. You and I have had some practice at this, John said with a slight chuckle. Stack up. I'm going to give you a countdown to move out. The team was already in formation, ready and waiting, an easy tension that came from training and experience. And five, four, three, two, one. Move out and move fast. Follow the HUD. With one fluid motion, John swept the door open just enough to allow the team to squeeze out through it. He kept low, almost in a half-crouch, and moved at a very brisk pace. His senses were working overtime as he took the team to the right, following the path outlined on his HUD by Vicky. He double-checked every corner and street before taking the team out into the open at crossings. From what Vicky said on Overwatch, it seemed as if the outskirts of the city were largely deserted. As far as he could tell, all of the buildings they passed were as empty as the one they had hidden in. All of this was very fortunate. John did not want to see the vision he and Sarah had shared come to pass, not one fraction of it. In ten minutes' time of sneaking and running around the outer edge of the city, there hadn't been a single blip on the Thulean gizmo. Then the gauges redlined all at once, and the device started to vibrate in pulses again. Looks like we're at another back door. This part of the city wasn't composed of buildings, but rather of a series of arches and stella. There was writing carved into them, but it was nothing John could read. It all looked somber, though, in a uniquely unsettling and Thulean way, at least, and he got the impression that it all served some symbolic purpose rather than a practical one. He pointed the gizmo at the end of the avenue of Stella, 
and the door irised open in front of them. It was dark on the other side, too dark to see what was there, but it didn't matter. If Vix was right, just using the gizmo was giving the Thulians a signal, and something to track, and they needed to be gone. Unter was the first one through, with a final scornful look back at the city. You've attracted attention. You've got about five minutes, Max. Hurry. We must not be in area on other side. Molotok allowed Sarah to jump through first, then followed closely behind her. John was the last man through, just in case the gizmo were to click off suddenly. He stepped through and felt the breeze part his hair as all of Vicky's eyes rushed over the top of his head through the portal, like a miniature swarm of bees. He immediately keyed the Thulian device, and the portal closed behind them. If the city side of the portal had been spooky, this side pegged the gauge. They were in a narrow, steep-sided valley, probably more accurately termed a defile, that had been scoured clean of vegetation. From where they were, it was clear that niches had been carved into the sides of the valley. Orange letters glowed above each one, but it was too dark and too far away to see what was in them. Patrol behind you just missed seeing the door close. Too damned close. We need to dee the hell out of this place, before someone gets the bright idea to open up the portal behind us. John replaced the Thulian device in his dump pouch, bringing his rifle up. Ravine makes a twist ahead. That'll get you out of immediate line of sight. Uh, do you want to know where you are? I am having feeling you will tell us whether we are wanting to hear it or not. Molotov sighed. How far from where we should be? Too damn far to make the pickup. You'll have to follow this thing for about five miles until you get to a place you can... Maybe climb out. And it's all the wrong way. Oh, and you're in what I think is an alien cemetery. Boo. John moved a few steps closer to the niches that had been cleanly carved into the rock. The glowing orange letters were definitely Thulian. Some of the inscriptions, however, had prominent swastikas at the end of them. Creepy as all hell. Let's get moving. We can find alternate route on way. Move up, Tovarici. The team set off at a steady jog. Right now, getting distance from the back door into the city was more important than stealth. With Vicky's eyes in the sky and John on point, they had decent chances of being able to avoid any potential entanglements besides. The team covered the five miles in good time, though all of them were winded by the elevation and the exertion. The path, if you could call the barely-there goat trail they had been running along a path, terminated suddenly at a sheer rock face. Everyone stopped, circling up to catch their breath and drink some of the water they had brought with them while keeping a 360-degree watch. This is the end of the line, Vic. I think we're out of the immediate danger zone, but we need to get clear of this entire valley. And we're out of road. John gulped greedily from his canteen, then passed it to Sarah. She finished off the other half of it. Empty canteens don't have their contents slosh around, after all. The only way out is up. Molotov and Unter both slung their rifles. We will have to be scaling the wall, then. 
We have ropes, climbing harnesses. Is long climb, though. Molotok stroked his chin as he sized up the rock face in front of them. John and Sarah shared a look. Positioning herself behind and a little distance away from the oblivious CCCP team leader, Sarah spread her wings and made a run at Molotok, catching him just under both armpits and launching herself, and him, into the sky. Flying is faster, she said, her voice fading as they arced up into the distance. John could hear Molotok protesting and did his best to suppress his laughter, with only moderate success. Hunter glanced at Murdoch, then his shoulders slumped. Da, da. Time for Svingetak ride. He threw his arms over John's shoulders from behind. Hold on tight and kick your feet up after we're off the ground. Don't want to toast your boots. Concentrating, though not nearly as much as he had to previously, John lifted off the ground on a plume of flame, rocketing straight up with Untermensch on his back. Fortunately, like the missile he resembled, the beginning of the ride was relatively slow, and the acceleration was gradual, or Unter might well have lost his grip. He cut the thrust a dozen feet from the edge of the rock face. Their momentum carried them up and past the edge. Unter instinctively released his grip, and both of them landed easily on their feet as they came down from the apex of their arc. Molotok didn't look quite shaken, but he wasn't very happy either. Never again, without my permission, or excoriation all around. He fumed for a moment, then clicked his tongue at them. Victrix, where to now? And nowhere that is needing flying to. Enough for one day. Two hours later. The team had arrived at their new destination. Vicky had been silent for most of their trek. She said that she had a lot of things to prepare in order to get them the hell out of Dodge. But when she got them over what she said was the last of the hills and on another goat path into a valley, all they could see was the valley. Boss boy, Molotov said wearily, as the last light of the sunset painted the mountains red. Ahead of them was a valley filled with a thin mist. No sign of life. I thought you said we were almost there, witch. Are we trekking up mountain faces now? Do you really think I would do that to you? Just wait a moment and let them turn the lights on. It was like something out of a movie that John vaguely remembered. Lost Horizon? There was a shimmering effect on the mist, and then it was there. Perched like a flock of birds on the cliff on their side of the valley was a series of beautiful buildings, with the swooping red and gold roofs and pristine white walls of what could only be a Buddhist monastery of some sort. It looked like a movie set. John let out a low whistle. They sure picked a nice spot. Welcome Matt rolled out for us. If it wasn't, you wouldn't see it. Full speed ahead, comrades. Dave, dave. <laughs> they don't like leaving the lights on for very long. John saw the path before them. You had to look for it, but it was there, and led to a small rope and wooden slat bridge. The bridge looked ancient, 
but after a few test steps seemed sturdy enough. John and Sarah were the first across, with the two Russians close behind. Everyone slung their weapons, though the two Russians continued to be alert and wary. When they reached the end of the bridge, John spotted a small group of red and saffron-robed monks waiting for them. It didn't seem possible that they weren't freezing to death in what amounted to a couple of sheets wrapped around them, but they seemed perfectly comfortable. Until they spotted Sarah and J.M. emerging from the mist. Their eyes went wide, and they seemed startled and even a bit confused for a moment. Then, as one, they bowed to Sarah deeply, turned a little and bowed to John, only a little less deeply. Um, Vicky? What's this about? The two Russians shared a look, both just as confused as the one plastered on John's face. Vicky didn't answer. Sarah, however, murmured something to the monks, who bowed again, then held out their hands in what was clearly a welcoming gesture. She took their hands, smiling slightly, made a tender little gesture, bowed over their hands and murmured something else. Then she looked back over her shoulder. It's all right, beloved. I explained. Without another word, the monks led her up a set of steps and into the monastery. John could feel the warmth and smell incense coming from the open doors. Right. He turned to Untermensch and Molotok, shrugged, and followed Sarah inside. The Russians did the same. Their guides took them past a large group of more monks deep in some kind of meditation that also involved a droning chant, then out the other side of the first building, across another little wooden bridge, and into a second building, much smaller than the first. All the monks but one left them. Okay, folks, I know you are hungry and thirsty, but trust me, you don't want to eat right now. Vicky said as the monk waited patiently, as if he knew, somehow, that she was talking to them. Hold hands and try to clear your minds. You ought to have an easy time of that, Murdoch. Ha ha, Cheen Witch. The group clasped their hands together, forming a circle. The Russians looked uncertain and very uncomfortable. Victrix? What is the meaning of this? Before she could answer, the monk patted John on the shoulder and said something, then walked out and closed the door. Since Sarah seemed to have understood the monks before, John looked to her. A love? He offered us his blessing, she said serenely, and told us he would pray for our souls. Wait, pray for our souls? What the hell? The room vanished, or rather, it felt and looked as if they were in the heart of an explosion. Every sense was pummeled, and it seemed that for an eternity they were in freefall. And then they tumbled, nauseous to the point of vomiting and disoriented, onto the floor of... another room. This one was round there was an enormous, complicated diagram inlaid into the floor in what looked like semi-precious gems and several different kinds of stone. 
The ceiling overhead was a dome, inlaid with yet more diagrams, this time in many different kinds of wood. The dome matched the walls. The only illumination came from a chandelier full of candles that hung from the center of the dome, and four freestanding torches placed at equal intervals around the room. Even Sarah had been affected. She lay half on her side, panting with exertion. John was not in terribly good shape himself. It felt as if he had been running a marathon, all uphill. He was utterly drained, as well as nauseous. A door opened in the wall, a door he hadn't even seen for all the carvings and diagrams. There was brighter light out there, so he could see only that the person who had opened the door was female. What? Oh, the hell? Victrix. John was able to choke down enough air to keep his gorge from rising. Everyone else was recovering, slowly as well. A little warning next time might be nice. For a moment, all he could hear in his ear was harsh panting. Sorry, this shit has to be timed to the nanosecond. I could explain, or I could juggle nitroglycerin. Pick one. Undermensch lifted himself off the floor, coming up to a knee. Where in the name of Lenin's ghost are we? Sorry, Tovarich, the woman who had entered the room said brusquely. That's on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. In the U.S., Eastern Seaboard, that's all you get. Take this. She held out four pills on her hand. Helps with the nausea. Another person, a man this time, came in with four incongruously ordinary bottles of water. Liter bottles. He handed one to each of them. John downed the pill and half of the bottle of water. After spending a few more moments regulating his breathing, he had started to feel somewhat better. Did we just get fucking teleported? Like, uh, across the goddamn world? You would not believe the number of favors Victrix called in and now owes for that. But yes, except we call it a porting when it's done by magic. The woman held out her hand to John, clearly to assist him to his feet. You're all mages? He took her hand, which was surprisingly strong, and lifted himself up to standing. Then he helped Sarah up. The woman... Iron-eyed and iron-haired, cracked just a little bit of a smile. Since this is Victrix's first school, that would be a logical assumption, yes. And in the interest of saving the world, at least half our instructors are prostrate with nosebleeds and migraines right now. Molotov stood up, unassisted, and only swayed for a moment before finding his feet. And witches do this, zipping across the globe in blink of eye? Actually, no. Rarely, and never with a group. The last time we tried retrieving more than one person at a time, Tunguska suffered a... critical failure. The entire team turned pale. She shrugged, then smiled a little more. But you are all here. You are all at one piece. No body parts have been mixed up. Victrix's math worked, and everyone survived at both ends with no explosion. 
well done us. Headmistress, the man said, clearly unable to contain himself any longer. We really must publish this in Apportation Quarterly. It's a major breakthrough. Why, you and I could easily get tenured positions out of it. The two moved away from the team, talking excitedly with each other. John chose that moment to lean against Sarah and ignore the two mages. Vicky, how do we get home? I think I've had just about as much magic as I can stomach for one day. That's all the magic you get, stud. Blacked out van so you don't see where you're going. As far as the little private airport. Private plane to Hartsfield, Atlanta. People's transport to your bunk. Roger that. Murdoch out. We'll see you on the flip side. Give Nat the heads up that the mission was a success. And that we have a lot of talking to do. With that, John spoke the commands to key off the comm and overwatch. Sarah took off her headset and stowed it in its pouch on her belt. Well, she said, finally. That was... a new thing. A lot of that going around lately, it seems. He wrapped his arm around her. I think we deserve a break, quite honestly. Give me some boring old normal things. She held him tight and said, sadly, If only I could, beloved. If only I could. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.